Well, welcome to Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson-Murray. Uh, we both trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine, and clients consult with us regarding their health issues, and we recommend personalised advice in nutrition, supplements, herbs, diet, lifestyle. Uh, we can be reached toll-free at one eight 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 wbm herb or on the web at www.westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Uh, so on tonight's show, uh, we're very welcome again to have Dr. Raymond Pete joining us to give us the answers to his wisdom, uh, from his wisdom, uh, explaining those things that perhaps are uh, not what we normally would hear in the mainstream, almost certainly not what we would hear in the mainstream, but uh, uh, nonetheless uh, very well researched, um, plenty of information there that people can also look at after the show, uh, either by visiting Dr. Pete's website at www.raypete.com dot com um, plenty of articles fully referenced and like i said most of the subjects there will have advice and research that you probably would not have heard of elsewhere so we're always very pleased to have dr pete on the show thanks for your time dr pete mm-hmm. um for people who perhaps have never heard you or listened to the show uh would you give people a uh, your background your academic uh, and professional background before we get into the subject um after getting a master's degree in humanities at University of Oregon, I, I came back in uh, 1968 to 72 uh, for a biology PhD, uh, concentrating on reproductive physiology. And uh, it, the uh, hormones involved in reproduction are involved in everything relating to uh, life uh, and uh, brain development was one of my uh, second themes of of research. So brain development, aging, and the hormones involved in that uh, gradual uh, gradual decline in good health. Yeah. Okay, so uh, just for people that are listening to the show, that we will be taking calls from 7.30 to the end of the show, uh, either related or this month's, uh, either related or unrelated to this month's continuing topic of uh, nitric oxide, I uh, wanted to get a little bit into uh, the uh, subject of iodine as, a sh- as an opener for the show uh, for people thinking about supplementing with iodine and also uh, open up a little bit about the Zika virus uh, that's really catching media attention here. Uh, I know there's uh, certain, uh, what do you want to say, authoritative uh, reasons for it and there are other supposedly uh, conspiracy theories we can call them conspiracies but I think some of the merits of the uh, conspiracies are worth um, picking up and uh, exploring. Um, anyway so if you live in the num- live here in the area the number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD uh, or 923-3911 again that 800 number uh, we do get people from all over the states calling so that 800 number let me just spell that out for you that's 1-800-568-3723 so, Dr. Pete, I was uh, looking today, uh, and I guess what's prompted it really is hearing uh, hearing the advice of people touting a product called nascent iodine. And I know that you've specialised in thyroid hormone, and um, that iodine is definitely a, a key component of uh, thyroid hormone. And I think we've always been led to believe that there has been an adequate supply of iodine in the diet, and then they produce iodized salt uh, back in the 50s or 60s perhaps earlier or not i'm not too sure Uh, but iodized salt has been around um, and seafood also contains a lot of iodine in its own right so when i heard about this product called um, nascent 
uh, iodine. Uh, they were saying that it was uh, essentially not the stable, uh, so stable ionic form and was more available, uh, was more readily uh, taken up by the thyroid gland. And then I read some other articles about nascent iodine and how reactive it was, and I just wanted to uh, feel you out. Uh, what you what you know about the thyroid's natural need for iodine, whether or not we are deficient, and whether or not we need supplementation, and if in fact this is something actually that may not be necessary. Um, in the 1980s, I was uh, looking into the iodine nutrition question because I saw some women with uh, breast disease who um, recovered quickly when they took uh, supplements of kelp. Uh, or thyroid hormone, and uh, the, the safest thing I think is to uh, correct the, high, the thyroid problem directly rather than uh, counting on uh, big doses of iodine because uh, the, the large doses uh, over uh, many years, uh, for example, there are about 70 or more uh, publications looking at, at uh, iodine intake around the world over a period of decades and uh, they see that over half a milligram or even uh, especially over one milligram of iodine per day uh, over a population uh, is closely connected with increased risk of thyroiditis and thyroid cancer. Wow. Uh, and, uh, so it's aggravatory. Uh, uh, one of the theories of why that happens is that um, iodine spontaneously reacts or uh, in the presence of, of white blood cells, uh, their enzymes can cause iodine to react with fatty acids that are unsaturated. And uh, if you've um, heard about the iodine number to describe the uh, degree of unsaturation of a fat, uh, for example, uh, uh, the, the um, food oils that are highly unsaturated have, have a high iodine number. That means the number of um, molecules of iodine that will be spontaneously absorbed by a certain quantity of uh, the oil because the iodine attacks the um, double bonds in the fats and uh, where, where they lack hydrogen saturation, the iodine fills in as an analog to the uh, saturated uh, hydrogen content. Um, so there is this tendency of, of unsaturated fats to react with iodine, and when that happens, the body can interpret that as a signal to the thyroid gland, uh, possibly imitating the thyroid-stimulating hormone. Really? Wow. So, so it doesn't cause an increase of thyroid hormone? Um, it would it, block it, perhaps. Or. It, it um, can uh, fill the, the site where thyroid-stimulating hormone should be acting, and it can interfere with that. So it, it probably can go either way, uh, forcing too much activity or more likely blocking the effect of TSH. Uh, the um, polyunsaturated fats by themselves interfere with the enzyme which releases thyroid hormone from the gland. So 
uh, too much of the unsaturated fats with or without iodine will have an antithyroid effect. But potentially, uh, the iodine reaction could cause um, uh, overstimulation by thyroid uh, stimulating hormone or in, in its place could uh, imitate the action. But, but you mentioned the, uh, the binding, the iodine binding to the uh, double bonds uh, producing this product and in its own right, uh, that could stimulate a uh, inflammatory thyroiditis and or a cancer? Um, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. think that's why the, uh, the high iodine intake around the world uh, statistically yeah. is associated with greater risk of thyroid cancer. Yeah. And if there really were a product that contained a more reactive form of iodine, that would just mean that it would attack more <laughs> molecules. But I looked up uh, the source of that uh, uh, product. Uh, one of the products uh, started about 10 years ago. A man in Texas filed a, a patent that is just completely goofy. Uh -huh. <laughs> if you look at the diagram, okay. it, it uh, shows things that just can't happen. Right. So it, it was filed 10 years ago, and I think it's still hasn't been and probably never will be actually approved as a patent. So it, you can uh, apply for a patent on any goofy idea and then publish the application and uh, impress a lot of people. But maybe not bear the, bring the product to the market. So, so, so iodine supplementation is, is very risky and basically you should get your trace minerals from seafood sources rather than from isolated iodine supplements, and especially not in combination with any kind of vegetable polyunsaturated oils? Yeah, I think that's true. So the, just, just to uh, quickly wrap up this uh, nascent iodine, I think the reason that it caught my attention was that the uh, media spin on it was that uh, because it didn't have... A, and in chemistry, people hearing this will understand what I'm saying, but it's probably, uh, I can go and elaborate it more simply perhaps, but it doesn't have a stable octet, so its outer electron shell isn't filled. Uh, and they were saying that because of this, uh, it was much more, much more suitable in some way uh, to occupying these sites uh, in the thyroid to uh, produce um, thyroid hormone, but its very reactivity is counterproductive because surely as soon as you, if you could keep it as unreactive as that in a bottle waiting to be ingested, wouldn't it surely react with one of the first things it came into contact with when you ingested it, just to fill its octet and become stable again? Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah. The whole idea of, of a newly born or a nascent molecule, uh, when I was in junior high and high school, the chemistry people talked about nascent oxygen, uh, which for a few seconds after it's formed in a certain way is highly reactive. But that's because the electrons are simply in an excited state, mm -hmm. like it had been sitting in, in the sunlight too long. Uh, that's an electronic excitation, uh, which uh, quickly passes as it gives off a, a little bit of energy. Uh, but uh, in, in certain short-term situations of a few seconds, uh, that kind of excited electron state can make a, a molecule uh, useful for certain reactions. Yeah. But yeah. it isn't something you'd want to put in your body. Yeah, there you go, right. Could. 
Okay, so not for in vivo use, but maybe uh, in, in vitro experimentations it might have a, 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 some kind of a use. So it's basically a, a more dangerous form of iodine yeah, that can like cause it. a free radical reaction. Yeah, yeah that's, that's what they're talking about, but I don't think it even exists in the product. Got it. Okay, well, you're listening to Ask Your Doctor on KMD Gabberville 91.1 FM uh, from 7.30 till the end of the show. Uh, callers are invited to call in with any questions about this month's uh, wide topic here of uh, things like, uh, obviously, thyroid hormone is going to interplay in a lot of it, but the nascent iodine uh, that we've just brought up here. Uh, and then the inflammatory reactions that happen between uh, estrogen and nitric oxide and what we can do, what females as well as males can do to offset their burden. Um, number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911. If you want an 800 number for toll-free for across the states here, it's 1-800-568-3723. That uh, translates as 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So, Dr. P, um, I was uh, looking at some abstracts here that um, were going to form the show, and uh, the first couple uh, caught my attention just because they were based on isoflavones, and I know uh, from our studying herbal medicine uh, soy and isoflavones were all the rage and uh, were touted as being very health beneficial um, reducing cholesterol and all this other uh, ridiculously unscientific uh, in- information that was purported um, so from the the, benef- the the basis of uh, soy they mentioned that there was an alcohol uh, soluble fraction uh, that had been shown uh, essentially um, to uh, basically p- cause female cancers um, that these things were taken up by the thyroid um, or they, they probably inhibited the uptake of iodide uh, from in, by, the, by the thyroid uh, by the gland and um, that this increased the estradiol uh, in females and that this was uh, I know that we've heard about soy and now I know we're definitely aware of soy being very pro-carcinogenic because it's a estrogen mimic um, but what do you what do you think about this whole industry push that was producing and probably still is producing soy infant formula which is one of the main uh, one of the main uh, foods that was generated from it I, I think it has seriously harmed lots of kids by, by partly the um, estrogenic effect. Uh, the, the oil itself has a pro-estrogen effect, anti-thyroid effect. Uh, apart from the, the, uh, the, those little molecules, the isoflavones, uh, the category of flavones or flavonoids, um, it's very similar to the isoflavones, uh, the phenyl group or benzene group is just located slightly closer to the uh, keto oxygen in the isoflavones, and that group seems to be the estrogenic uh, group. The other uh, orientation of the benzene group makes it more likely to be anti-estrogenic. And uh, lots of fruits and vegetables contain the anti-estrogenic forms of those, but um, uh, the uh, estrogen industry as a background Mm -hmm. uh, led to a lot of the uh, sales talk about the the effects of soy uh, chemicals. And and of course it's a hugely uh, cultivated, GMO cultivated product with uh, patents owned 
uh, for its uh, for its uh, propagation and its use. Again, no doubt, another spawned uh, product from big corporations who essentially want to own uh, the product. So, but, don't, but don't all legumes have these uh, a certain percentage of these isoflavones? Yeah. But just soy is particularly high. Is um, that no, the... no, I think the main problem with soy, besides it being basically inedible, <laughs> I think the main problem is that it's uh, almost all uh, grown uh, in, in the genetically modified form that takes uh, large amounts of toxic pesticides. Which are estrogenic too, right? Yeah. And again, just for the guys out there, I think it's very important to make you aware that um, you know guys have estrogen. Uh, it's not just a female-dominated uh, uh, situation. And soy consumption in males has also been uh, positively associated with things like gynecomastia, which is another uh, uh, side effect, if you like, of uh, estrogen activity within males. The very same thing, Dr. Pete, also, isn't it, with uh, alcohol, drinking alcohol excess, excessively can uh, produce that symptom of male breasts, so that's an estrogen-type uh, reaction. When, when I was a kid, just before the uh, Second World War, uh, we, we knew uh, some of the, the very poor uh, immigrants to California, and uh, there was one couple in, in which the wife got a job but the, the father could nurse the baby because his estrogen had become so high from malnutrition. And wow. at the end of the Second World War, when soldiers got out of the prison camps, lots of them had breasts from wow. the effects of prolonged starvation. But we're not, are we talking lactation, too? Well, Surely. in the case of, of this yeah. man in, in California, mm-hmm. uh, the wife said... Uh, <laughs> Pause, pause milk ain't got much strength. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they can lactate, wow. especially if, if they have a baby nursing. Wow. Wow. So there's, wow. A po- there's, there's enough positive feedback in the uh, physiological mechanism there inherently to, uh, to produce that, huh? So I guess the high estrogen then stimulated, raised their prolactin? Yeah. And then with the suckling, it, was, it produced milk? Yeah. That is just absolutely incredible. Okay, so uh, again, just uh, for people that are listening, uh, it just begs the question again where things like uh, soy and soy products, uh, all we ever hear, um, uh, we don't have a television really or listen, we don't have a TV at all, but we don't uh, listen to either, uh, you know, broadcasts from mainstream media. But what I was going to say was most people have a TV or they're listening to a regular radio station getting the same spin put on things and the same sales pitch. And so I just find it hard to believe that for a long time the whole soy thing could exist and it could uh, do what it did when actually it's, it's more like a waste product and people really shouldn't be eating soy because it's so dangerous in terms of its estrogenic effect on females and males and those estrogenic effects are very pro-inflammatory Dr. Pete you've pointed out many many occasions um, and I'm currently uh, on board with that same feeling that the uh, the irritation and the inflammation that estrogen promotes is nothing but a uh, dangerous process, uh, process in the body and also, um, Dr. B, how would you compare estrogen levels with menopausal women and men? Uh, with, with the aging, um, a man's estrogen pretty steadily increases. Uh, but uh, if he has a heart attack, it goes up sharply. Or if he has a traumatic injury, it goes up uh, during the recovery time. Uh, uh, but uh, generally... Uh, 
the uh, there's a trend upward in men and in women when the ovaries stop cycling they're up until about the age of 38 to 40 there is a, an actual steady increase in estrogen and when the ovaries stop cycling uh, they stop suddenly producing progesterone but they continue producing a considerable, a considerable amount of, of estrogen until uh, the body can adjust it downward. So there are a few years in the 40s or early 50s usually when estrogen is extremely uh, excessive relative to the anti-estrogen effect of progesterone. Um, but then again, uh, after the uh, ovaries have uh, pretty much stopped functioning with the rest of the body uh, as, as the uh, progesterone fails, uh, all of the other tissues begin the same way uh, it happens in men. Uh, all of a woman's tissues tend to start increasing their production of estrogen so that after menopause, uh, the fatter a woman is, the more estrogen she's producing because the the fat tissue is a good source of it, but um, any tissue after menopause, uh, to the degree that it's stressed, will begin producing estrogen. So is it, is it about the same level between men and women? Um, yeah. It, the, after the menopausal period? I, I think that the women tend to be fatter in old age, and so they are more likely to have a higher level of estrogen. But just measuring the blood estrogen gives a misleading uh, impression because uh, the um, when progesterone is deficient, uh, the estrogen receptor, uh, as well as the aromatase enzyme that makes estrogen, the receptors bind it in cells, and there's no progesterone to destroy the estrogen receptor, so it just stays in the cell, and uh, some of the enzymes that are no longer uh, inactivated by progesterone, other enzymes uh, capture circulating estrogen uh, that should have been excreted, cause it to be deposited in cells. Still other enzymes uh, shift any estrogen away from the estrone form to the estriol form, which is the most active, intense estrogen. So everything that happens when progesterone is deficient uh, tends to load up various cells all through the body with more and more estrogenic stimulation, uh, even though it isn't being released to be measured in the blood. Right. So the blood test could appear that it's fine, but if you have a large amount of fat cells, they could be stored in that and other tissues... And what about weight loss for women who are in the menopause? If they lose that weight, do, do they then poison themselves with the estrogen as it comes out of the cells? Uh, just temporarily, but it's better to get rid of it than to have it local because uh, inside the cells it uh, produces things uh, such as uh, breast cancer, lung cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, uh, all of the tissues that uh, no longer have enough progesterone 
mm. are, are subject to cancerization. So what about the women that continue to menstruate? Like I heard from this lady the other day that she had a friend who was 70 and was still menstruating. Um, I uh, talked to a, a gynecologist who was giving his wife progesterone, and she was still menstruating at 60. Uh, and if, if you uh, happen to have a, a very uh, good system for producing progesterone, there's no reason why it should stop at 55. There's no reason to stop at 55 then, right? No. Hmm. I mean, basically, would do you think it would be beneficial that women continue to menstruate until the day they die? I think so. Um, the, like the, the flamingos and the... Uh, yeah, yeah, flamingos have no yeah. have no uh, uh, life limitation uh, according to ordinary uh, mortality curves. Uh, they they seem to only die by accident. <laughs> A starvation, right? <laughs> Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Web, Dr. KMUD Galbaville, 91.1 FM, uh, from 7.30 to the end of the show. Uh, please call in with any questions you have, either related or unrelated to this month's subject. Uh, number if you're in the area, uh, area code 707-923-3911, or for those folks in different states across the U.S., as an 800 number, which is 1-800-568-3723. Uh, Dr. P, I wanted to pick up on a point that you mentioned during your last discourse there, and I didn't, I've not heard that before. Um, progesterone destroys the estrogen receptor. Does anything similarly happen with estrogen doing the same thing to progesterone receptors, or is it just that way around? Well, estrogen uh, activates its own receptor in most tissues. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it will uh, activate inflammatory things which tend to uh, turn off the progesterone receptor if uh-huh. you have an excess. Okay. So, uh, the, um, uh, generally, uh, the, the normal function would be for progesterone to rise uh, as soon as the estrogen has had its surge and then knock it out. So it. The, uh, the estrogen is fine if it's active only for 12 to 24 hours every month. Right, right. Uh, It does its job and then it's finished. But like you said, the tissues will carry on producing estrogen, especially in uh, obese individuals and um, menopausal or even postmenopausal women. Um, Yeah, uh, Alexander Lipschutz showed that if you remove the ovaries and then implant just a tiny uh, estrogen-releasing pellet, uh, just a very small but continuous dose, it's very carcinogenic. But if you interrupt that or even a large dose with estrogen, with progesterone periodically, you don't get cancer. And in his experiments, the estrogen uninterrupted was carcinogenic to uterus, breast, lungs, kidneys, brain, and intestine. Basically everything... Okay, so just another uh, another call uh, for all the all the ladies out there. Uh, there really is nothing. I mean, I know it's a personal thing, but there's nothing wrong with continuing uh, your menstrual cycle as long as you possibly can. And um, progesterone is your friend. Estrogen is your enemy. And the only thing really that estrogen is any good for is the implantation. Um, so I uh, we have a first caller. So let's get this first caller uh, on the air. Call away from. Hi, I'm from Kansas City. Did you say Kansas City? Yeah, Kansas City. Oh, hey, welcome to the show. Thanks. 
Um, hi, Dr. Pete. Uh, what do you think is happening if someone experiences digestive cramps and bloating within 30 minutes when using vitamin E orally, and which still occurs even when switching to a few different products, as well as even when using several drops of Progis D, which also contains vitamin E? Um, I think it's the, uh, the viscous, oily quality that is irritating. Uh, if, if you, uh, some people have that reaction, uh, for example, if they try to use it in their armpit where the skin is very sensitive, the, the highly viscous oil can be very irritating. So I think it should uh, be taken with food so that it doesn't hit any of the membranes in the concentrated form. Do you think it's possible to develop a soy allergy somewhere along the way? Uh, yeah, um, many people uh, do have soy allergies, but um, the oil uh, doesn't contain any of the proteins that people are allergic to. Uh, so... I haven't heard of any uh, documented allergy to uh, oily uh, soy products, such as soy oil. Okay. Do you think it's possible that for that person that something like 400 units, international units of of the alpha tocopherol with 300 milligrams of gamma, delta, and beta tocopherol is excessive and possibly being excreted mostly in bile, which is alkaline, and possibly irritating to an already irritated intestine, which would maybe cause the cramps and bloating? I, I doubt it, um, because the effect of, of uh, vitamin E on many uh, cell processes is anti-inflammatory. For example, it, it inhibits prostaglandin formation. Uh, similar to aspirin in its range of anti-inflammatory effects. Okay, that's great. Thank you. All right, thank you for your call. We do have another call on the uh, on the air, so let's take this next caller. Caller, where are you from? Uh, hi, I'm calling from Mexico. <laughs> Mexico, the first caller from Mexico. Well, welcome to the show. What's your question? Thanks. Hi. Um, if I understood correctly. Earlier you were talking about how taking extra iodine can interact with PUFA to cause problems. Mm -hmm. And um, I know someone who took a few milligrams of extra iodine and she went into a some kind of uh, thyroid, hyperthyroid-like crisis state where she couldn't tolerate any physical exertion. Um, her muscles were really weak, and her pulse was very high. And um, years later, she still gets that reaction from thyroid, and I was wondering if that's related to iodine. Um, back in the years when many people were in certain regions, for example, uh, in southern Mexico, uh, uh, western China, and Ohio, uh, Eastern Europe, uh, those areas were very deficient in iodine, and they would develop an enlargement of the thyroid gland. And then when they ate iodine, even a, a fairly normal amount, 
suddenly their gland would uh, start forming thyroid hormone. And uh, they, if the goiter was very big, uh, they could have serious uh, hyperthyroidism that could last for years. But um, if the gland was just slightly swollen, it would pass in about two months. So that's a, that's a very real sequelae of uh, using uh, iodine in that particular individual, that they would have that uh, increased uh, thyroid production that would be uh, you know, resulting in uh, what the call has just mentioned. Uh, yeah, if they took their iodine in the form of thyroid hormone, right. they could uh, normalize their body functions right. and be replacing iodine yeah. in a, a limited uh, graded yeah. fashion so that they wouldn't go into those hyperthyroid states and and getting the required amount of hormone would cause their pituitary to settle down and mm -hmm. uh, let the gland gradually shrink. Right. Well, because that is treatment for goiter is that you t you supplement with thyroid hormone. Um, uh, yes, <laughs> to treat hyperthyroidism, the safest thing yeah. is to uh, uh, supplement usually with, with thyroid hormone. So again, just to uh, just to expand on the very first question to uh, Dr. Pete about the nascent iodine, uh, it's not a good idea, um, and also many other forms of iodine supplementation is not necessary. And uh, if you need iodine and you have any kind of low thyroid, actually thyroid hormone is the best way to get bound iodine. Okay, did you have anything else you wanted to bring out, caller? Or uh, well, thanks a lot. Um, I was just wondering if it, you know, if it would be a good idea to. Um do anything specific to uh, try to rectify this this problem, or if there's any tips on on uh, tolerating thyroid, does avoiding iodine help in a situation like that? Um, the people who uh, have trouble with the actual thyroid hormone, uh, they can be either deficient in magnesium because uh, hypothyroidism makes all of your tissues. Uh, fail to retain a normal amount of magnesium. And then when you supplement it, uh, suddenly you experience an extreme magnesium deficiency in your uh, heart, for example, and your brain. And so taking some magnesium at the same time as the thyroid uh, will help those people. <clears throat> Others, uh, if they're deficient in adrenal or ovarian or gonadal, uh, steroids uh, will uh, suffer stress uh, symptoms when they take thyroid. And, and so uh, using a supplement such as pregnenolone uh, will make them tolerate uh, adapting to the, the thyroid more easily. And what about, Dr. Pete, how some people, if they supplement with T4 thyroxine, they will have those symptoms, like our caller mentioned, where their muscles are weak and they their heart's pounding, their pulse is high. And isn't that because if they're already low thyroid and they take the T4, then they're actually stimulating the adrenaline because they're not converting it? Um, yeah, when when people have suffered uh, for a long time with a low thyroid, they're likely to have extremely high adrenaline and cortisol levels. And that causes them to turn T4 into reverse T3, uh, blocking the actual active T3 hormone and then if they accumulate more and more T4, that will uh, interfere competitively with 
the little bit of T3 that they do have mm -hmm. so they can uh, exaggerate the uh, state of their hypothyroidism uh, if they're in that uh, really extreme stress state. Because would you say that um, T4 perhaps is mainly only 10% as active as the active T3 hormone? It really varies. Uh, in the 1940s, when they first uh, synthesized it, they tested it on male medical students, and it was exactly as effective as armor natural thyroid. <laughs> but that's because uh, young men, uh, 20, 22 years old, have very good livers right. that can perfectly convert it. Uh, but um, even at the same age, women are more likely to uh, uh, have problems with plain thyroxine. But, but when they talk about um, T4 being weakly active, uh, how, do you, how do you interpret that, or how do you see T3 versus T4 in terms of orchestrating metabolic events? Uh, well, the, um, the standard textbook idea is that uh, it's, uh, T3 is four times uh, more powerful than T4, but uh, really, if your liver is good, you can get 100% of the benefit out of T4. And if you're uh, a, a woman under stress with high estrogen, uh, your liver isn't going to convert any of it to the, the right active hormone. And the more you take, I, I've known of uh, one woman who was hospitalized um, got more and more hypothyroid the higher they raised her thyroxine dose. And as soon as they gave her T3, she came right out of the uh, myxedema coma. But um, I, I've seen people in less extreme states who got more and more depressed or psychotic or whatever when they increased their thyroxine dose. Okay, I have one more question for the caller. Do you know if this lady you're speaking about was taking a T3, T4 combination supplement, or were they taking just T4 or just T3? Are you aware of that? Well, yeah, originally she was taking an armor supplement, and when she uh, took the supplemental iodine, that caused the problem. And uh, since then, she has tried um, different T4, T3 combo products, um, as well as a couple different pure T3 supplements. So I think it's something to do with this adrenaline or sensitivity to adrenaline that Dr. Pete was was talking about, where if I understand it correctly, the, the thyroid sensitizes the tissues to the already high, the already existing adrenaline. But that should only last a couple of days, and then it should balance out. Well, sometimes it lasts for a couple of weeks if you're really extreme and uh, you have to use uh, little bits of supplements and uh, be very careful about your intake of uh, protein, sugar, calcium, uh, everything that is uh, counter to the stress. So when you're in a situation like that, um, she was using very small specks of T3, you know, under one microgram sometimes. Um, is this thing to do to hold that very low dose for a couple weeks and then increase it in very, very small uh, increments as the adrenaline hopefully comes down? Um, yeah, I, I've known people who <clears throat> uh, for a week or two <clears throat> would uh, stay with uh, one microgram doses of T3. Uh, but um, you have to make sure your 
your uh, whole diet is very good. Uh, having hormone tests and uh, a vitamin D blood test is helpful uh, because magnesium and calcium work together and vitamin D regulates them. Yeah, and making sure that she's getting plenty of carbohydrates, like in the form of fruit juices, because that's, like Dr. Pete's saying, make sure nutritionally she's getting at least 75 grams of protein. I don't know the weight and the nutritional needs, but at least 150 grams or more of sugars and good fats. Okay, thanks very much. All right, thanks for your call. Uh, I think we have another caller there. Yeah, okay, we have the next caller. Caller, where are you from? Hi, I'm calling from New York. Yeah, welcome to the show. What's your question? Hi, I have a question for Dr. Pete about uh, Buteco breathing and heart rate. Um, Dr. Buteco noted that as you progress with retaining more and more CO2 um, with the Buteco breathing, then the heart rate will uh, decrease. And I, I wondered what you thought about that. I've, I've noticed that in my own practice that it, it does uh, go down, but the, the temperature is still good. And I, I wondered if, if the metabolism is still um, good when that happens or what you think about it. Uh, yeah, there have been experiments with animals uh, increasing their CO2 and watching what happens to the heart and blood vessels. And uh, CO2 relaxes the blood vessels so it uh, decreases peripheral resistance and that makes the heart able to pump more blood more easily with less work. Uh, so it mm. usually means a bigger stroke volume. Okay. So the so, decreased heart so rate is a good thing. Uh, even though it's a lower heart rate, you, you think that that's, uh, you can still get the same uh, benefits uh, as you would if you weren't restricting your breathing but i mean i mean i know you recommend a high heart rate typically for for people that aren't practicing that kind of a uh, breath control um uh, yeah but that's uh, most people are running on adrenaline uh, i've known people yeah. <laughs> who one woman had had a 180 uh, pulse steadily for years another person had been around 130 resting pulse for a long time uh, both of these people within two weeks got down to a normal under 100 pulse rate when they supplemented thyroid and uh, one of the things the thyroid is doing is uh, increasing your co2 decreasing the lactic acid and the inflammation uh, so that your capillaries open up uh, you have less peripheral resistance so your heart doesn't have to work so frantically. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for your call, caller. Okay, so for anybody else listening here, it's, it's always good to get people from all over the state. So we've had Mexico so far. We've had New York, Midwest. Uh, so let's keep it up. There's an 800 number here. It's 800 568 Three seven two three. We've got Doctor Ray Pete with us on the show, uh, and he's sharing his wisdom. So I guess until the phones ring again for the next time, I wanted to ask you. Uh, we haven't actually got very far through with all the questions I wanted to ask you at this point, which is good news because people have been calling, but uh, may have to carry on uh, this topic next month, perhaps if you're available. Um, I saw the article there, which again just highlights the estrogenic problem that the uh, benign and malignant thyroid nodules are far more common in females uh, than males, and no doubt a consequence of estradiol. Um, so given that 
the mainstream lie is that estrogen is good for you uh, and healthy. And what can be done, you think, simply to offset the estrogen? I know we've mentioned progesterone, which is probably the first thing that springs into my mind. Um, but in terms of reducing a female's estrogenic burden? Um, uh, there were some studies of slices of thyroid gland in vitro, and they found that uh, added uh, estrogen caused the, the cells to keep synthesizing hormone but, uh, and to keep growing, but to fail to secrete any of the hormone. When they added progesterone, it began uh, secreting the hormone. Uh, and uh, up until uh, the last few decades, uh, women, rather than just having nodules in their thyroid, uh, they were the ones most susceptible to growing a, a very large goiter that sometimes was as big as a cantaloupe. Yeah. And uh, the, the nodules uh, are basically the same process of uh, estrogen uh, activating uh, the uh, cell division and synthesis of colloid, uh, the, the material that uh, the, the hormone later will be made from, uh, and uh, desensitizing the cells to the, uh, the hormone-secreting effect of thyroid-stimulating hormone. And uh, uh, progesterone, by uh, antagonizing estrogen, uh, will reverse those processes. But uh, when you get the cells uh, multiplying and making the, the uh, protein, uh, you will get uh, at least a nodule, maybe uh, the, uh, if it continues steadily, uh, the whole gland will get bigger and bigger. Okay, we do actually have another caller, so let's just hold that for right there and take this next caller. So, caller, you're on the air, and where are you from? How you doing? I'm I'm from right here in town. Okay, your local caller, you're welcome. What's your What's your question? I was curious to know if um, this. I heard you talking about uh, uh, the vitamin D and the thyroid and the magnesium. Mm -hmm. um, I was just wondering if that would have anything to do with what's called restless leg syndrome. Yeah, Doctor Peter, that. Uh magnesium deficiency or how would you explain uh, restless leg syndrome um, there has been quite a lot of uh, research uh, for, for example they noticed that people taking uh, SSRI antidepressants mm -hmm. uh, tended to have episodes of restless legs and uh, so they saw that uh, nitric oxide and uh, uh, serotonin were involved in producing it and those are uh, produced uh, largely from the intestine, the, the most intense problem of both serotonin and nitric oxide production uh, is from an irritated intestine. And hypothyroid people uh, overproduce both uh, nitric oxide and uh, serotonin, typically, uh, and have sluggish digestive systems and often have a, a tendency to... Uh, generalized inflammation and um, the, the serotonin seems to be specifically what pushes those motor uh, nerves that, that cause the leg jumpiness does, does that uh, help you out or explain things to you Carla? yeah yeah somewhat it does um, it's not an adrenaline thing that makes the legs jump it's uh, 
this serotonin mm-hmm. yeah. having to do with what? Sorry. Uh, all of the inflammatory stress things tend to go together. So would you recommend, like, aspirin for restless leg syndrome? Um, uh, yeah, pregnenolone, aspirin, and uh, uh, avoiding irritating foods, especially uh, legumes and uh, raw green salads. Those are very irritating. Those are things that si- uh, increase the bowel production of serotonin. Yeah. Beans and uh, raw vegetables. Uh-huh. That's interesting because we had just switched to trying to eat better and we had gone to eating a lot more of both of those. <laughs> Have you noticed your restless leg syndrome in, uh, has decreased? Uh, it's a female. It's my partner. Okay. And it's, it's becoming very extreme, and that may very well be just from the diet, huh? Yeah. If uh, she was has a, a, vitamin, a D, vitamin D deficiency. Mm-hmm. She's told to take uh, vitamin D and magnesium. Yeah. Do you, do you know uh, Do you know what her uh, vitamin D level was and how much she's taking? There, I don't know exactly in, in measurement, but it was very low. Right. Well, the most uh, most drop forms of vitamin D now they're two thousand IU a drop, and uh, if she has low vitamin D, it's probably below twenty, uh, maybe right around twenty, which is very low. And they've raised the uh, they've raised the reference uh, limit for vitamin D now up to about forty five. So, um, you supplementing with a two thousand IU per day drop uh, product, uh, she should be really loading up uh, with six to eight drops a day for about four or five days, and then uh, getting four thousand to six thousand. IU and then remeasuring her vitamin D after about um, two months. Yeah. Okay, so uh, like Dr. Pete said that uh, bowel irritation, inflammation, or uh, increased serotonin production, and that serotonin production with nitric oxide, which we're going to got a question for Dr. Pete about nitric oxide. Both those two compounds there can be uh, predisposed predisposing someone to uh, restless restless leg syndrome. Anyway, thanks for your call. So, Dr. P, um, I saw today, just in fact, I was thinking about it myself. I thought, hmm, how do you, I, I started looking at a couple of websites that do blood testing, etc., and I couldn't see any nitric oxide blood testing tests done, but I did see salivary tests for, uh, there were salivary nitrite strips uh, to assess the potential nitric oxide production uh, in the body. I know it, it will be formed from nitrite or nitrate uh, and this site actually was <laughs> this is the funny thing is this site was actually uh, letting you know how you could increase your nitric oxide more now you would uh, be eating various foods which I wanted to question you about also because I know some of the greens here that were promoting the nitric oxide production were things that we actually uh, are uh, promoting as being beneficial but there's obviously a reason for that now so how do you feel about testing your salivary nitrate nitrite uh, level and how predictive or preemptive that would be of nitric oxide production systemically? Um, a recent article just a couple of weeks ago came out suggesting measuring the nitric oxide or its products in the body as a way of diagnosing hypothyroidism because they're so closely connected. But uh, I would guess that the urine might be better than the saliva because for other uh, hormone testing, for example, uh, just thinking of food or being anxious or whatever can really change the composition of your saliva. Right, okay. So you think that because that changes so quickly then you're saying it's uh, not probably more relative to test something that's there and it's, store, it's stored and probably more uh, representative of a couple of hours of uh, physiology. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that the, um, 
the urine will give you a, a good picture of yeah. your level of stress. Okay. You wouldn't want to test that after eating spinach either with your saliva. Well, here's, here's the other thing. That was my other question. He said, <laughs> now, this website was touting uh, nitric oxide as being beneficial and, and actually spinach was a very good producer of nitrite and how that was spinach would increase your nitric oxide and, and they were touting, touting that. And I know, and I just want to ask you just to be realistic here and be real for folks um i know we mentioned uh greens purporting greens and boiled greens and drinking the juice is very beneficial and i know that you do say that kale can have a thyroid suppressive effect so not to use much kale um but spinach i think has been one of those greens that has been uh portrayed as being relatively healthy so what do you what do you think about spinach if they're we, organically grown without mm-hmm. intense nitrate fertilization okay and if it's well cooked i think spinach is good food okay all right we do have two more callers i don't know if we're going to get them in they just uh, appeared on the dial so let's take this next caller call away from hello yeah you're on the air where are you from hi, yeah i'm from shelter cove shelter cove hi what's your what's your question my question is um it's for my daughter actually she wants to take testosterone Okay. And I'm wondering what his take on it is, um, if he has any experience with that, yeah. how she can keep herself healthy. How, how old is she and what's the uh, what's the indication for taking the testosterone? Well, she's uh, a transgender. She wants to be more male. And um, she is 16. 16. Okay. And I, did you catch what the... Uh symptom was? Oh, she's transgender. Oh, okay, transgender. I didn't really hear that properly. Dr. Pete. Um, uh, wanting, wanting to masculinize? Uh-huh. Yes. Um, uh, I think that's safe, but it should be backed up with uh, uh, pregnenolone and some progesterone to keep things in balance because uh, the tendency is, uh, if you're under stress of any sort, for the uh, testosterone to uh, turn to um, estrogen and the pregnenolone and progesterone will limit that conversion. Okay. Did uh, if you if you have access to either of those both of those can be uh, can be obtained. So okay. pro- progesterone and pregnenolone. Uh, typically for a female anyway, they would normally be producing them, and I don't know exactly the details of the case and how the transgender nature of this uh, subject is either uh, affected adversely or positively. Um, so in terms of their exposure to their own natural progesterone being female and um, and or supplementing with pregnenolone, then that will offset the potentially negative effects that may occur with using testosterone in a female. Because it yeah. could convert to estrogen yeah. and then become dangerously out of balance. And, and watching thyroid function. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for your call. We'd better take this next question. Thank quick. you for your help. You're welcome. Okay. So, caller, we've got about three minutes. If you can get your question out to the doctor here and uh, do it in three minutes and get a response, we'll wrap the show up. Where are you from? Are they there? Hey, caller, are you on the air? All right, we had the second call, Dr. Pete, but never mind, because we've only got five minutes left, so... Um, okay. All right. Um, I don't even know if we've got time to perhaps ask another ask another question without uh, running out of time, but I'll, I'll, I'll try here. Um, and I think we'll definitely open this up again next, next month, if you are available, because we've hardly got any questions asked here, because we've had so many callers, and that's a good thing. Um, I wanted to ask you again, and with... Um, I guess again, we get the female issue in estrogen and inflammation and cancers, etc., are pretty obvious as uh, definite 
definite realities here. Um, in terms of the effect of iodide uptake by thyroid cells, uh, the inhibitory effects that estrogen has on that. Uh, in a female, again, would you be typically just wanting to uh, lower estrogenic burden by offsetting that with progesterone and pregnenolone and or thyroid? Uh, yeah, uh, thyroid and good, adequate nutrition, all the vitamins and minerals yeah. uh, are involved in uh, controlling, keeping estrogen uh, under the um, safe, safe limit. And uh, the, uh, when you inhibit the formation of thyroid hormone, either with an iodine deficiency or an estrogen excess, uh, the thyroid-stimulating hormone uh, fails to uh, make uh, the thyroxin and T3, and so it keeps stimulating not only the thyroid gland, making it grow and get bigger or nod nodules to form, mm -hmm. but it has... Uh, related effect on every tissue to some extent, uh, especially the ovaries. Polycystic uh, ovarian syndrome uh, is uh, associated with low thyroid and especially high TSH. Right. Uh, TSH drives inflammation so that uh, the so-called autoimmune conditions associated with high estrogen, uh, women are far more susceptible to all types of autoimmune uh, diseases than, than males. And uh, uh, that's largely because of the high TSH exposure uh, driving things like tumor necrosis factor and uh, the various uh, cytokines and interleukins and prostaglandins that are activated. Excellent. I don't want to cut you short, Dr. Pete, and I really appreciate your uh, your knowledge, uh, as do I know all the people that have tuned in and taken the time to listen and call from all over. So uh, a really uh, a really good show from all over the country. I appreciate people calling. Uh, Dr. Pete's website, let me just sign off uh, giving out your information, Dr. Pete, so people can uh, find out more. Unless about. there was any last words you wanted to say, Dr. Pete. Nope. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Okay, okay so Dr. Pete uh, has a uh, pretty extensive uh, referenced uh, library in, in some ways of uh, symptoms and diseases and the mainstream science is argued against with real science. Uh, so the the, uh, the objective science of non-profiteering uh, organizations is brought out. So much of the details that you'll find there and listed in the fully referenced sections that come with each article on thyroid hormones, saturated fats, uh, regular hormones, pregnenolone, estradiol, uh, whether it's salt or sugar or cholesterol, any of the other articles that he's done, there's a whole range of them fully referenced. His website, www.repeat.com. Uh, it's one minute to the hour. Uh, my name's Andrew. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. And we can be reached at uh, westernbotanicalmedicine.com uh, or you can call an 800 number 1888 WBM Herb uh, 9 to 5. Thanks for your time. And uh, again, next month we'll bring out more questions uh, for the doctor and they'll be contrary to uh, public and regular opinion, which is always a good thing to give you the alternative. Then you can make your mind up. The facts are out there if you want to look for them. Okay, good night. Thank you for listening.